Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be hearing from Dr. Kevin Worsler. Dr. Worsler received his THM in New Testament Studies and his PhD in Old Testament Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary. Currently, he is an Associate Professor of Hebrew and Old Testament at Criswell College in Dallas, Texas, where he also serves as the Program Director for the BA in Biblical Studies. Without further ado, Dr. Kevin Worsler. All right. Good morning, Criswell College. I see you out there, kind of. I am sure that all of you are aware that we have a logo, right? You've seen a logo. Sometimes there's some on the screens. Different ways that it appears. And what I'm interested in is what is on the logo. Uh, At the top, of course, we have those Greek letters, which if you take Greek, you'll know that means logos, which means word. But I'm more interested in the English words that we sometimes put with it. Uh, We'll see how you are at this. I'll start with the first word. You join in. Shaped by Scripture, sent to serve. That's a short phrase, other than the fact that it has a bunch of words starting with the letter S. It also has two parts to it. Shaped by Scripture. If you've been here for even just this short time, this is your first semester, you know that this place is all about Scripture. You're going to see it in your classrooms. You don't even have to take a biblical studies class. You'll find it in all the classrooms. And we will be talking about how Scripture can shape your life, how it can mold your life, how the Lord will use it to make you more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. But then we have the words sent to serve. The word sent is important because it tells you we don't want you sticking around. (laughs) Now what that means is we like you, we love you, but your purpose here is to be trained, shaped by scripture, so you can go. Sent. And then we have the words to serve. Well, the interesting thing with the word serve is there's no direct object to it in our statement. Serve what? Serve whom? Now, for that, you're going to have to dig in a little bit more to those classes that have the designation C-R-I-S. Okay? You're going to have a bunch of classes in your programs, CRIS classes, C-R-I-S, And there you're going to learn that what we're really talking about, the primary focus of your service, is to serve the Lord. But also, there's another dimension to that, and that is when you get into global learning and service, local learning and service, you're going to be serving others. But primarily, it's about serving the Lord. 
So today I want to talk a little bit about serving the Lord. But I need to be very, very honest with all of you. I have one primary purpose in mind for today. And that purpose is to make you uncomfortable. Now, some of you might be looking at me and thinking, I was at that Thrive lunch the other day. And, uh, you know, you definitely made a lot of us uncomfortable. Well, the difference is that at that lunch... Uh, you were not the only ones uncomfortable. That was a bit of a shared experience. Today I'm a bit more focused. I have more of a direct purpose. I want to make you uncomfortable. Maybe to the point of even cringing. Maybe even to the point of being deeply distressed. I want to talk about serving the Lord in the context that he might call you to. Everyone turn to the book of Jeremiah a moment. This is going to be a little unusual. I'm not picking one particular text, which that's my normal mode. That's kind of where I'm comfortable usually, is take one text verse by verse. But I want to look at a section in Jeremiah. But we're going to start with chapter 1, good place to start, to try to understand this journey of Jeremiah. There are two points that I'm thinking of in our lives as well as in Jeremiah's, and that is there is the calling. Sometimes we call, we speak of it as the sense of a calling, uh, target students for us. I mean, the, uh, the point of our recruitment is to find those who have a sense of calling to serve the Lord. So there is that calling to serve the Lord. It doesn't have to be a a dramatic experience like being knocked down on a road and blinded or even chased by lightning in a forest or something like that. That might work, but uh, actually it could just be that in your walk with the Lord, you have come to a point in your life where you desire to serve him. And the desire is good, but there's another element that we'll find in Scripture, New Testament in particular, and that is that it can be confirmed in you as well by others. And so if you're called to serve, you're in the right place because that's our purpose. But there's a point when you are called, and then there's the point of the service. And in between is this journey. From the calling to the service. And what I want to do is to look at Jeremiah's journey. Actually, I'm calling this Jeremiah's journey from calling to service. And my main target section of Jeremiah will be chapters 11 through 20. We refer to those chapters as the confessions of Jeremiah. Don't worry, I'm not preaching all of that. Uh, I have four texts and four principles. And I think I can move through those fairly quickly. I would encourage you, of course, to read that section because you'll see the journey. But I want to start with the call. This is in chapter 1. What do we find out about Jeremiah at the very beginning? Well, he is a PK. You know what a PK is, right? Priest's kid. Uh, He is the son of Hilkiah, the priest. Also note that he is in a place called Anathoth. Okay, that's going to be a an important thing a little bit later on. 
He's serving under several different kings. Really only three are mentioned, but he really is going to serve under four. Josiah, the last great reformer king of Judah, actually a good king. He tears down high places where even the other good kings did not. And then we have Jehoiakim. The one that's not mentioned is Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiakim, uh, sometimes known as Jeconiah. Later in Jeremiah, he's called Coniah. And then we have Zedekiah. And the last of these kings, Josiah's the good one, the rest of these kings are bad kings. So if Jeremiah is going to begin his ministry under Josiah, that's actually a positive thing because he's under a good king. If he's faithful to the Lord, Josiah is faithful to the Lord, it would seem like that would be fairly easy. It's not going to be quite as easy when you're under kings who are bad. So that's kind of the background. The other thing is Zedekiah is going to be the last king of Judah, meaning that this is when we are at the point where the Babylonians come in, they destroy Jerusalem, they destroy the temple, and Judah is no longer an independent nation. It becomes submerged inside the uh, Babylonian Empire. So Jeremiah, the timing of his ministry, is right at the end of all of this. Now, of course, when we think about calling to serve the Lord, I can think back my early teenage years through the work of a youth director and a pastor of just getting that sense that I want to serve the Lord. And I remember making a choice. I actually remember making a choice that I want to serve the Lord. So what we want to do is to see when Jeremiah made the choice to serve the Lord. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, that's interesting. Jeremiah made that choice before he was formed in the womb. Uh, it's clear that God has set him apart even before he is born. Now, what is his response? Verse 6, he said, I, I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. If that sounds like Moses, you're right. The only difference is Moses gets two chapters of piling up excuses to the Lord before the Lord says, you're going. Jeremiah doesn't get that. Instead, the Lord says, verse 7, the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I was going to say that, you know, our considerate, compassionate God will obviously give him words of comfort when he is concerned about this ministry. Instead, God says, don't say that, you're going. And then, more unnerving perhaps, is verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. Pronouns are rough anyway when they're not designated like, who's them? Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. And then what's the rest of the problem with that? Deliver me from what? Okay, 
there's some ambiguity here, some concern that's legitimate. But then you have verse 9, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. He is going to be a preacher. Now this reminds me of when I first went to Dallas Seminary, and I remember uh, my peers, and many of them had this vision of being world, having a worldwide ministry. Always their big thing, a worldwide ministry. I'm going to have a worldwide ministry. I'm going to have a huge church. I'm going to have a massive congregation. There will be TV. There will be radio. There will be books. There will be the signing of books. I will draw crowds. People will flock to me because of my preaching. Let's get back to the Bible. Verse 10. This is his mission. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, if you wonder if your understanding of the knowledge or of the language of English is helpful for you, there are six infinitives here. Of the six infinitives, four of them, the first four, all deal with tearing something down. The last two to build and plant are the, we might say, positive ones. But four out of six, for your math skills, two-thirds deal with tearing down. His mission, and this is a good outline for the whole book, his mission is primarily going to be those four. Where is the building and planting? Well, he's going to speak about the new covenant. He's going to promise restoration. He's going to talk about things that are going to happen. But as far as his own experience, when you get to the end of the book, he hasn't experienced any of that. All he is experiencing are the first four infinitives. Okay, those are going to happen. The last two will happen after him. All right, so we see Jeremiah's mission. I have some questions about things that are part of it, but let's jump to our four passages, all right? The first passage is in Jeremiah 11. I said four passages, four principles, and I'm going to move through these fairly quickly, all right? You can read through the rest of it. If you read through the entire section, you'll get this. Uh, you'll see the dialogue between God and Jeremiah. The first thing we find in verse 18 of chapter 11. The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me. They devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us come off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you have I committed my cause. You know what we call that? We call that an imprecation. That's calling forth God's justice. What's going on with Jeremiah? People are trying to kill him. 
Well, that wasn't actually in the original statement, although remember the Lord said, you know, I will deliver you and I will save you from them. Well, the them, actually in verse 21, just notice for a moment, the Lord is speaking to him, answering him, concerning the men of Anathoth. Do you remember that word? Remember that place? That's his hometown. In his own hometown, people want to kill him. Almost sounds like something's going to happen a little later with someone else. If you see parallels between Jeremiah and Jesus, they're there. All right? So, of course, he has his complaint. You can read about some more of it in chapter 12, but I want to jump down to verse 5 of chapter 12 for God's response because here's the question. All right, he's calling on God to deal with his enemies. And God is one who, who says that he can deal with the enemy. So, again, the compassionate, considerate, comforting God says these words to him. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And that's not what I asked for. And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers in the house of your father, that's some more information, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. Even his own family is against him. Serving the Lord, huh? <laughs> In a context where people are trying to kill you. And what does God do? Oh, I'll take care of them. No. He says, if you can't handle this, you're not going to be able to handle what else I've got for you. Real comforting. Hmm side of God I'm not too sure about. I want you to notice, though, because this is just an interesting observation. It's not part of really the principle, but I want you to notice something. In verse 7, God begins to pour out, we might say, his heart, his anguish about his people. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my, my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me, therefore I hate her. This is God pouring out his heart regarding what he is about to do to his people. And here's the problem. Jeremiah is concerned about his own situation. He's here being persecuted, people trying to kill him. And God is here with his mission his mission that he is going to judge his people, and that this is, in whatever way God can experience it, grief and anguish for him. So the first principle is serving the Lord is about his work and mission, and not our personal concerns or issues. First principle. Now, I want to tell you something about these principles, too. If I would have just, if I just listed the principles, we weren't in Jeremiah, I'm just up here, not any Bible text, and I just say, here are the principles of serving the Lord. If I just spoke these, you would be nodding your heads, amening, saying, oh yeah, exactly. But what I want you to notice is it's in this context 
that I'm drawing these principles. It's in the context of an incredibly difficult ministry and one that is very much undesirable. Serving the Lord is about His work and mission. That's where He needs to be. And not our personal concerns or issues. Okay, next passage, Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15, and we're going to start in verse 10. As you read through these chapters, you see that the persecution gets more intense. In fact, you find out God is not dealing with Jeremiah's enemies at all. It's almost as if he's ignoring him. Notice verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Then the Lord responds, Have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in the time of trouble and in the time of distress? Can one break iron, iron from the north and bronze? Uh, he's going to blend in the mission that he has. That is God's mission. Your wealth and your treasures I will give as spoil without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. What about Jeremiah's personal problem? I mean, woe is me, my mother, the one who bore me. It's almost like Job here. God is focused on his mission. But is there a point somewhere where Jeremiah crosses a particular line? Uh, let me see if I can find. I don't want to do all of this. Uh, back in uh, verse 18, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a, and, and different translations do it this way, like a deceitful brook is ESV. Some have unreliable waters. Actually, I like one that does mirage. Lord, you are like a mirage to me. Now, he goes through and he, he speaks, it's back in verse 15 and forward, about all of the pain and suffering that he's going through. But his relationship with the Lord right now is that the Lord is unreliable, he is untrustworthy, he does not deserve my trust in this. Some people ask me, you know, with all the complaints you've found in Scripture, is there anyone who's ever crossed the line? Bingo. We found one, because here's God's response to him. Therefore, thus says the Lord, verse 19, If you return, I will restore you, and you, will, you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. Then shall, that they shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. Do you notice what God just said? You need to return to me right now. What is it that he just said? You're untrustworthy. I can't trust you. Now, doesn't mean that this is the same line for everyone in every ministry, but for Jeremiah, this is going to be critical because he is going to be someone who cannot trust anyone. There is not a single person. Well, okay, Baruch, his faithful scribe. Uh, he has a scribe writing everything down. Outside of Baruch... 
whose scroll is burned and he has to rewrite it. It's kind of rough. But nonetheless, all right, there's no one else that he can trust, which means if there's no one he can trust and he gives up on trusting God, what's going to happen when the whole thing falls apart? There's no one. Actually, God in his grace is calling him back because here's the principle Serving the Lord requires trust in Him. Again, man, if I, if I would have said that to you in any other context, I would have gotten the amens, I would have gotten the glassy eyes, I would have gotten, oh, of course, we have to trust the Lord. But in this context, in this ministry, think about that. This ministry, trusting the Lord when He seems unreliable. Okay, Jeremiah 17, next passage. Jeremiah 17, and really I want you to see verses 12 and 13, even though really where I'm going is going to be 14 through 18, but 12 and 13, you know, Jeremiah doesn't have the same experience as Isaiah, although their ministries are similar. He preached to a bunch of people who aren't going to listen. But Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets a vision of the throne of God. Ezekiel gets an even more impressive vision, a whole chapter, Ezekiel 1. Just an amazing just vision of God on his throne. What Jeremiah gets is just he's making the statement. That's it. But he does understand this. Verse 12, a glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Our Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Did you notice what he just called him? What did he call him before? Unreliable water. Someone's changing. Hmm. Well, maybe he actually did return to the Lord. Indeed, he did. Persecution gets worse. The pain gets worse. But he's actually closer to the Lord now than he was earlier. But notice, the pain is definitely there. Verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them and double destruction. Another change taking place. He's focused on God's mission now all of a sudden. Now, it's his mission, well, what God is dealing with with his people and what Jeremiah is dealing with in his personal situation have now kind of blended together. It's kind of a way of God taking the pain, the suffering, the emotions that we have and pulling them in, aligning them with his purposes. Now, what I find fascinating here is that mention of the throne in verse 12 and also the view that he has of God. And here's the, here's the statement, here's the principle. Serving the Lord requires a proper view of him in relation to you 
and the mission he gives you. Okay, serving the Lord requires a proper view of him in relation to you and the mission he gives you. We might even call this fearing the Lord. It's the, the idea that you understand who God is, kind of an encounter with his holiness. He doesn't have an actual encounter in the same way as Isaiah or Ezekiel, but he does understand where God is in all of this. A proper view of him. <coughs> Let's go to the last one, Jeremiah 20. This is kind of the end of this. Oh, and I have to mention the first six verses, although I will not read them. Things are getting worse for Jeremiah. We skipped over chapter 16, where God said you can't marry. That's an issue. Um, also, the intensity of the persecution keeps coming. False prophets are cropping up all around him, and God's not dealing with them. They're speaking the message of peace. He's speaking judgment. Uh, who's to say he's right and they're wrong? God doesn't even give him some miracles to perform. All right? But then in chapter 20, you have this Pashur the priest who is a chief officer in the house of God, and he heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. He has to stay in stocks all night long. A priest doing this to him. And the next day when he's released, oh, this is fun. I enjoy this. It's my comparison between Jesus and Paul, okay? When the high priest slaps Jesus, what does he do? He's quiet. He's a lamb led to the slaughter. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't say anything. When the high priest slaps Paul, <laughs> what does he say? God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. I like that. Uh, Jeremiah is a little more like Paul here. <laughs> he curses Pashur afterwards. So he's not just lying down on this. I mean, he is definitely in pain, and it's getting worse. But notice these words, starting at verse 7. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. Oh, there's some... Ooh. What does that mean? Does it mean God's lying to him? No, the, this is a different kind of deception. It's, it's what this journey is all about, where Jeremiah was and where he is now. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. And then this verse, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot, I cannot help but do what God's called me to do. Here's the final principle, serving the Lord will only occur when he brings you where you need to be, not necessarily where you want to be. It's where you need to be in his will, right where he wants you. And I would say that final principle is kind of the capstone for all of the others. And here's how I put it together. 
If you are called to serve the Lord, he will prepare you, meaning he will bring you to the right place. When you focus on his mission, when you trust in him, and when you have a proper view of him. I could have given you that without Jeremiah, couldn't I? But then you wouldn't have been uncomfortable. Or at least I hope you're uncomfortable. Because the same God that called Jeremiah to this difficult ministry is the same God that we serve. And I'm not telling you that you're going to have the same kind of ministry. But I also can't make any guarantees that you won't. I don't know how God is going to use you to serve him. You're here, so you're somewhere in this journey between the calling and the serving. And hopefully those principles will become real in your life. But Criswell College, our motto once again, help me out on this one, okay? Shaped by Scripture, sent to serve the Lord faithfully, even if the mission is difficult and undesirable. We're going to stay up here. Okay. Give them just a chance. <laughs> stay up here. Stay up here. Like I can't get out. Uh, of here. We want to give them a chance yeah. to ask questions. Oh, you and I have that? one question for heavy. you. So, okay. uh, you have kindly uh, <laughs> left just a tiny bit of room for comfort for everyone. And so I want to see whether you want yes. to leave it there or not. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this way. I mean, in all the descriptions you gave, we're talking about being willing to serve in whatever format God or whatever context God uh, sends us or puts us. I just want to ask it this way. Do you think this is true or would you uh, put a finer point on this statement that for a believer ultimately fulfilling God's will is going to entail rejecting yours. So is that, that may be overstated, it may be, I just want to hear you talk about that. No, I think that's an accurate statement. Um, And and actually, if I'm going to give a a ray of hope in all of this, uh, you know, it is a, uh, that journey can be a very treacherous one because our will does get in the way. What I want, do you remember a week ago, I think it was exactly a week ago, Tamiko, when she yeah, right. said those words, uh, I had plans. <laughs> I had plans, but what was her point? God has different plans. So the ray of hope is this. Ministry can be like this. Serving the Lord can be like what we've seen in Jeremiah. It's possible. But it can be incredibly fulfilling, and it is. Because we're sharing in God's work. Yeah, there, and I, I just want to affirm what you said right there. The, the idea of rejecting our own will is the really painful part of the journey. Yeah. But it's also the only place you find yourself. It's the only place you find the, the thing that God created you for. So it's, it's glorious. I know you know that. I mean, that's what yeah. you're communicating. Yeah. There's a lot of irony built into the way you express things today that I don't know if everybody caught. <laughs> and so I, I'll come back and make another statement at the end if we have time uh, to follow up with you. So anybody have a question you want to ask? And we'll uh, get a mic to you if you get a hand up. Anybody yet? Got it? 
Thank you, Lane. So what, what do you see as the significance of the words that are stored up in Jeremiah's heart that he, if, if he doesn't speak them, it's as though it's, there's a burning in him. Um, <clears throat> why do you see that as significant, that those are words of condemnation and that they also bring shame to him? and they become a derision for him. So what, what do you see as the significance there? Of putting those together, yeah, well, God's word, and of course, I'm glad we don't have these, this particular office anymore, but we do preach, we do teach, we're supposed to be faithful to Scripture, and preaching about sin, preaching about judgment, those are part of his word. That's going to bring derision from many, uh, we live in a world that's going to bring us, I mean, they're not going to be our friends, for sure. And many within the faith are not going to be either when we do that. But Jeremiah has reached a point, that's in chapter 20, Jeremiah has reached a point where he cannot help but speak God's words. It's, it's tearing him up more on the inside than any of the pain that he's ex experiencing on the outside. And that takes time. That is, that is a process that God has brought him to. Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. I, I, I just want to tack on to what you were saying and, and part of what you were teaching us the whole time today, that, you know, God doesn't bring leaders into your life so that you'll stay the way you are, hmm. but you had chosen the way you are. So your natural response to the leader God sends into your life is going to be unhappy with what they're saying. You don't want to do it. That's why you weren't there to begin with. That doesn't mean you become hateful or you throw them in prison like Pasher, but it does happen, you know? So it's going to be natural if you're going to be the leader God sends into someone's life to have an influence on them. It's going to be natural that some of the time they're going to throw you in a prison. Uh, you know, they're going to do something you don't like. Yeah. Or throw you in a well and, yeah. you know, he has that happen and scroll burned and and then at the very end i didn't even get to this the very end of jeremiah's life it's so sad that uh after the destruction of jerusalem which he's seen he's experienced that he's seen it nebuchadnezzar saves him because he's the only prophet who actually said surrender to the babylonians but then at the very end there's a new governor put in, Gedaliah, and then he's assassinated, and all of the people with Jeremiah, they want to leave. They want to get out of there because they're afraid of Nebuchadnezzar again. The Lord speaks to Jeremiah and says, stay right where you are. Do not leave. And they all want to go to Egypt. And so the Lord says, I will chase you down with a sword, every last one of you, if you go to Egypt. And of course, they go to Egypt, but the sad part is they take him with them. As far as we know, he died in Egypt. So, yeah, his, his trials are just starting at the point that we were looking in. And it does, I mean, you, the, you can't make the point any more clearly. I mean, that the Dr. Worsler was making that, that that tells you, the story of Jeremiah tells you God is not auditioning people for how to be the great celebrity. 
Uh, it's just not what he does. And he, 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 otherwise, he would have hidden the story of Jeremiah. He would have said, well, that one didn't work out. Let's tell someone yeah. else's story. So uh, it's oh, yeah. fascinating. Okay, anybody else? A question or an observation for Dr. Worsler to respond to? Anyone else? I was going to make a point because you, you just jumped on something. And that is, this will even be in our context. Uh, all of the people who think success in ministry is measured by numbers. Jeremiah... Isaiah, there's one prophet where he had numbers, Jonah, <laughs> and he doesn't like it. And if you look at missionaries, I, I looked at David Livingston recently, he had two converts, all the years that he was a missionary, had two converts, one apostatized, you know, fell away, he had one. You know, if we were supporting somebody like that from a business model, <laughs> pull him out, stop supporting him. Uh, God does not measure success in numbers. He actually doesn't measure that way. He considers faithfulness to him, and that's not measurable. That's not quantifiable. You're either faithful or you're not. It's not 70% faithful, 80%. You're faithful or you're not. That's what, mini that's what successful ministry is. Amen. Uh, are, are the musicians doing another song? If you are, make sure to start making your way up right now. Dr. Brooks, did you have your hand up? All right. Can we get a mic to, to Dr. Brooks while oh. the musicians are on their way? Thank you. God can you hear me? Yes. God, God said uh, to Jeremiah, I will deliver you. When he called him, how would you explain the deliverance or describe it? Well, it seems that he's delivering him from something that hasn't happened when God tells him that. So the deliverance seems to be, it's almost, I see him in a lot of ways like Job, that, you know, when, when Satan is given some authority in Job's life, uh, you can do everything but take his life. Jeremiah's life is never taken. He is saved. So he's not a martyr. You know, he survives all of this. And so, to me, it seems like that's, that's the saving part. Now, I could say it's in a salvific way, too, but it seems like he already knows the Lord at that point. So, I think it's, it's, the, it's like a preventing of that, that one thing. Amen. Uh, one, one last uh, example of the irony that's built into the things that you were teaching, uh, just to reduce it, would be to say, it seems to me like one of the things you're implying inherently is that we need faith most when we're most likely to give it up, Yeah, uh, that that's exactly when we need it the most. So y'all join me in thanking Dr. Worsler for the message today. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.